If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 652. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And then purchase one or 20 courses. That keeps this podcast free of charge. You can also support the show if you're watching it on YouTube by clicking on that little heart under the video, the Super Thanks button. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. You can also go to brianmcclanahan.com, click on the Support tab. You can donate there as well to the show. Click on the Shop tab while you're at my website too and get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share it around on social media. Send me those show requests. I do like to hear what you want to hear. All right, this is a somewhat of a listener-generated episode, and I'm going to bridge into this probably next week or the week after with another episode on a similar topic. But I've already talked about this to a point, and it's the movement, the national conservative movement. Now, on June 15th, which was yesterday... If you're listening to this on the 16th, on June 15th, uh, American Conservative published an article from the Edmund Burke Foundation outlining new statements or new, uh, new set of principles for national conservatism. Now, one of the authors of this document is somebody I like, Daniel McCarthy. I, he is a good guy, and um, I, I'm only going to be critical of this to a point because of him. I'm going to try to be as kind as I can because I like Dan. Um, but when you look at the who's who who wrote this, this is it should be titled the West Coast Straussian view of American conservatism. And it starts from a very wrong place. Now, uh, I'm, I'm not going to you know get into you know Dan and, and I'm a little surprised on some of this stuff with Dan, but it starts from a very wrong place. Now, when you look at the list who signed on to this, at American Conservative, this is where this was published. Now, Dan McCarthy used to edit American Conservative, which is a, it's a, it's a, used to be a very good publication. It was actually founded by Pat Buchanan. You know who's not on the list signing on to this? Pat Buchanan. You know who's also not there? Helen Andrews, who's also at American Conservative. She's, she's very good. Also, Pedro Gonzalez or Paul Gottfried. Anybody on the paleoconservative right is not there. So what these few what these what these national conservatives are trying to do is make West Coast Straussian conservatism ascendant. They're trying to say this is the only American conservatism there is. Now, and, and they do that at the beginning of the piece as well. And they also have a very funny introduction to it. And I, I find it fascinating because what they say they're against, they're actually doing. Now, back in November of 2021, they held a conference on this. I think it was in Florida. And uh, this was, you know, a big kickoff to what they were going to be doing, where they're going to define American conservatism. And this is the Hazoni book, uh, 
conservatism. Now he's out talking about it on you know, radio and other things. And this book just came out. So I'm going to review that. This, that's the corollary to this particular podcast when I go through that book. Because there are some laughable things in the book. Just like some of this is just absolutely laughable. It doesn't make any sense. It's not American at all. I think that's the key to understand this. And I'm going to, I'm going to start with this and say this. John C. Calhoun was at one time recognized as one of the most important people in American conservatism. And he defined American conservatism very easily. And this is where I always work from, right? Calhoun said he was a conservative because he was a states' rights man. Now, that was simple to him. Conservatism in America was a belief in real federalism in the original Constitution of expressly delegated powers and enumerated powers, and then the states handled everything else. So a real conservative would adhere to a central authority that had such limited powers that it couldn't hurt anybody. It couldn't do anything to anyone. The states and the people of the states, and even Calhoun would delineate that, he would say the people of the states, were the most important part of the entire process. So in other words, we didn't have a nation state in America. We had a federal republic. So to say that there is some type of national conservatism is to miss the entire history of America. Now, this does not mean that there weren't nationalists in America. And this is where Hazoni gets into it in his book. And he says, these are the real conservatives, all of these nationalists. You could actually argue that Calhoun was, in fact, a nationalist. He did believe in somewhat of an American nation, but it was always a federal union and a federal union of separate peoples adhering to a central authority that did clearly enumerated things. There was a union that should benefit all and burden all equally and that had a common voice when it came to defense and foreign policy. But that was it. Of course, trade as well. But that was it. The rest was left up to the states. And so this particular document gets into that at one point, but they're confused about some things. What they're advocating is actually what we have now, right? They're, it's just that they don't like the policy direction of where the center has gone. You see, the disease and everything is always nationalism in America. Why? Because at the, at the base of American nationalism is majoritarian democracy. You see, the left wants nationalism too. They want it. Why do they want it? Well, because they know that if we have majoritarian democracy, they're going to win 99% of the time. And if they don't win through the electoral process, they're going to get their way through the federal courts. This is why they're going ballistic about the federal courts right now, because they think the courts have now gone in the other direction. Why? Because Republicans have gotten a president in there a few times, and they've been able to put people on, on, the, uh, on the Supreme Court. But this is why they want to get rid of the Electoral College. It's very clear. They want to get rid of it because they want national elections. This is why they want to abolish the Senate, because they want national elections. They want the House of Representatives to be it, because you know what? They know that even if it might be close, they're probably going to control the House because of demographics more often than not. And so immigration, of course, this piece gets into immigration. we got to cut immigration, because you see, this is what... These people have figured out, well, if we can just cut immigration down, well, maybe we can win some elections through the democratic process, right? I mean, this, this is what they're thinking. The only way 
to secure real conservatism in America is not through the center. It's through the separate parts. It's through the states. It's through Texas, Alabama. I'll guarantee you that if the states could control immigration, if there wasn't some national policy in terms of immigration, Texas would have very little immigration. So would many of the southern states. It would be cut down to about zero. Now, there are, of course, groups in all of these states that want it because they want cheap labor. That's always going to be a case. That's always going to be a situation where you've got to have people to do things. And there aren't enough, uh, it seems like there aren't enough people in America that are already here that want to do these jobs. So they're going to import people to do these mud sill type of jobs. So this is always going to be a pushback, right, from the Chamber of Commerce type people that we need immigration for jobs. So you're always going to have that back and forth. But I can guarantee you that in these states, you would have very little immigration. Now, you would have it in other states. You'd have it in California. Uh, you would have it maybe in Arizona. You might have it in New Mexico, even though those states um, go back and forth, you know, red, blue, whatever color designation you want to make it. Now, California does not. California, the, the, the southern border of California would be open. And so they would dump into California, and California would be forever changed. But, you know, Texas... And some of the other states, you would see a lot less immigration if the states actually controlled it and the people of those states had any control over it. Right? You would see it. But of course, you can't do that because federal government is supposedly supreme in immigration law, which uh, is not necessarily true. Right? States can keep people out of states if they're not citizens. They could do it all the time. So this is, this is a big deal. And so I want to talk about this piece and again, the absence of certain people on it, I think, is telling. In fact, at the conference they had in November of 2021, one of the key themes of that particular event was that they're anti-fusionist, meaning that they don't want coalitions. They want to be it. They don't want coalitions with paleo-libertarians or paleo-conservatives, even though they, they say these things. Well, I think we need to have uh, we need to have a, a good relationship. And so American Greatness, which of course is a West Coast Straussian website, will publish Paul Gottfried. But um, this is funny to me because, you know, they run around saying, well, we need to have um, a discussion. We don't need to be killing each other. We need to have a common goal in winning elections. And yet they're excluding people from the beginning by, by saying we're against fusionism. So if it's all about winning elections, then there isn't really any principles behind that. It's just about getting the Republicans in, and then we'll deal with it once we win. But because we are the ones who are driving the policy, our policies are going to be put into place. You see, all these people are Lincolnian nationalists. I say all. not Well, there are some that aren't that signed on to this, at least nominally. But certainly, they are of the belief that Lincolnian nationalism is, should ride in to save the day. But what they don't realize is that Lincolnian nationalism is the thing that's destroyed everything they want. You see, if we had real federalism, none of this stuff would matter. The states could reflect the political culture of the states. We wouldn't have federal courts overturning democratically uh, uh, chosen legislation, right? When it comes to uh, social, the culture wars, we wouldn't have any of that. The federal courts are the, are, is the entity. Nationalism is the entity that's undermined everything in America that's conservative. And you can even make the case on the left as well. It's This is why lefties are so mad. They're so angry about this because the federal courts in their mind are undermining all these things. The federal courts are coming out and they're imposing a national will on reluctant states. When you look at the Second Vermont Republic, for example, their entire premise is that the 
the conservative side of the government is is thwarting their left-wing utopia in Vermont. Same thing with the California secessionist groups. We've got too much of conservatism in America. We need more leftism. And so let's get out. Let's make California, California, which is a leftist utopia, even though I think that there are some people in California that are pushing back. But regardless, this is what's going on here. So from the beginning, this piece says something very funny. The title is National Conservatism, a Statement of Principles. And the subtitle at American Conservative. A world of independent nations is the only alternative to universalist ideologies seeking to impose a homogenizing, locally destroying imperium over the entire globe. Now, what do you, what do you think American nationalism is going to do in America? This is, this is city upon a hill puritanism stupidity at the highest level. That's what this is. So we need to have, it's destroying, globalism is destroying the American nation, but the American nation, the nationalism of Lincoln, has destroyed any local efforts to, to push back against leftist stupidity. This is exactly what's happened. So what we need to do is have a nation state in America, a one voice for the American people, even though that voice is going to be either be a minority or such a slim majority that you're going to make a lot of people angry with this. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to have localism. I agree. They're saying, well, local, we don't want to destroy the local. Well, then why do you want to have a national government that does anything except for common defense and uh, uh, regulating trade? I mean, and, and by the way, not regulating trade in terms of in the states, but regulating trade with foreign powers. And between the states, meaning... A, uh, a free trade zone between the states. That's it. That's it. Not regulating to the point where we do today. Why would you want anything else? That's what the entire system was designed to do. No, that's that's not with them. So we, we don't want to destroy the local unless we're in America. Then we want to destroy the local. This is this is where this stuff is just ridiculous. It begins, we are citizens of Western nations who have watched with alarm as your traditional beliefs, institutions, and liberties underpinning the life in the countries we love has been progressively undermined and overthrown. Okay. Yeah, you know where that's really happened? In the United States? At the state and local level. Because we had Lincolnian nationalism ascendant from 1865 to the present. You see, I go back to John C. Calhoun. I'm a conservative because I'm a states' rights man. That's the essence of American conservatism. Not this. That. We see the tradition of independent, self-governed nations as the foundation for restoring a proper public orientation toward patriotism and courage, honor and loyalty, religion and wisdom, congregation and family, man and woman, the Sabbath and the sacred, and reason and justice. We are conservative because we see such virtues as essential to sustaining our civilization. We see such a restoration as the prerequisite for recovering and maintaining our freedom, security, and prosperity. Now, I've got no problem with anything they just said there. It's the way they're going to go about doing it. That sounds fine. I mean, these are the things you think are important in society, so let your, let your communities at the state and local level reflect those things. And you would have that in many states in the United States. You wouldn't have it in some... And you know what? Just don't live there. Move. We emphasize the idea of the nation because we see a world of independent nations. 
each pursuing its own national interests and upholding national traditions that are its own. Now, let me stop here and talk about this term nation. Does the United States constitute a nation? And I think under a traditional definition, in any way, shape, or form, you have to say no. There, an, a, an American nation does not exist. In fact, it was explicitly rejected in 1788 and 1787. Nobody wanted a national government in the founding generation. They didn't call the U.S. Constitution a national constitution. There was one part of it that you could say was national, and that was the House of Representatives. The rest of it was federal. This is, I mean, if you just go to Madison, this is what you would say. But and, and, of course, that doesn't really work very well. So at the core, because most of it was not national, it's not a national government. It's a federal republic, a republic of states. And states, according to Jefferson, were independent, sovereign political entities. The people of the states. It wasn't a compact between people. It was a compact between states, people of the states, right, in their states. So it's funny that they would even consider the United States a nation. But this is what you get when people don't really understand American history. And I say that. Uh, in, in all sincerity, I don't think that any Daniel MacArthur's, uh, McCarthy aside, because I like him. But when you look at some of the other people on this list, they're silly. This is silly. This is why I wrote the piece. People go back. I mean, I have to go back to this. And Michael Anton, who signed this, got so upset with me because I just bulldozed the 1776 commission report because it needed to be done. And his thing was, well, why are we fighting over Abraham Lincoln? Uh, why are we? I mean, the, the, the questions he asked were just immature and stupid. But regardless of that, why are we doing this? Because of garbage like this. Because this is just ridiculous. What you're doing is undermining the entire prospect of American conservatism by saying we're going to have national conservatism. What does that I mean? What does that mean? I mean, look. I understand people are upset and the left seems to be going ballistic and they're and they're doing all kinds of things. And we think that we need the power of the center to stop it. But at the end of the day, you don't. You don't need it. In fact, it's never going to work. What you need are people dedicated at the state and local level who are going to say, like, you know, um, like Rhonda. I mean, where has where have we seen the most action to stop stupidity in America? In Florida recently. Why? Because we have an energetic governor there. This is my point about Ron DeSantis being a better governor than a president. We don't need President DeSantis. We need Governor DeSantis. What we need are 50 Governor DeSantises. And they need to go in in their states and bulldoze this stuff. Because they can. You know why they can? Because they have all the power to do it. From the center, if we just stop looking at the center for everything, it would all stop. Because the emperor would have no clothes. They'd have no power. They only have power because we think they have power. Because we allow them to do things that are unconstitutional and illegal. That's it. That's it. The states can do all of this stuff. This is why a Governor DeSantis is so important. And if we had Governor DeSantis's across the United States, so if you're listening to this, and I know I don't have you know millions and millions of listeners, but you have friends. This could be millions and millions of people. You have friends. You need to be active at the state and local level. That's where you change things. 
So as the only genuine alternative to universalist ideologies now seeking to impose a homogenizing, locally destroying imperium over the entire globe. I read that at the beginning. Drawing this heritage, we therefore affirm the following principles. Number one, national independence. We wish to see a world of independent nations. Each nation capable of self-government should chart its own course in accordance with its own particular constitutional, linguistic, and religious inheritance. Each has a right to maintain its own borders and conduct policies that will benefit its own people. We endorse a policy of rearmament by independent self-governing nations and, and of defensive alliances whose purpose is to deter imperialist aggression, except in the United States. I mean, look, I agree with this. The state should be doing, I mean, so uh, the state should be resisting imperialist aggression from New England and California. <laughs> and by the way, New England and California should not want Alabama or Mississippi to govern them either. It just shouldn't happen. We can have a center that does things like, all right, look, we're going to have, you know, we're going to ensure that we're defended. I want Massachusetts to be secure. I want California to be secure, just like I want Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida, and, and North Dakota, and all those Texas to be secure as well. I want these states to be secure. These are Amer these are people in the United States. I want them to be secure. So in that way, and this is what Southerners have said for years, they wanted those, those areas to be secure too. What they don't want is those areas governing somewhere else that they should have no control over. And this is how the Constitution was sold, right? So I agree with this. What they're basically saying here is that they need, we need good uh, non-international uh, alliance nation states. Okay, fine. Fine. We don't need NATO. We don't need, we don't need something like that. Uh, we don't need that kind of stuff. Okay, I agree. No alliances will be a good thing. That, that would be nice. And of course, deterring imperialist aggression, okay, that sounds good. We don't want imperialists running around out there trying to make sure that you're, uh, you know, you're, you're under their, their thumb. But again, does the United States not constitute that sometimes? Can the, can the foreign powers say, okay, that sounds great, U.S., and you need to get out of our backyard? I mean, I think some of the people, I know Daniel McCarthy was, is, is anti-imperialist. So I think that would be an issue. And maybe he had an influence in writing that part of this. Number two, rejection of imperialism and globalism. Again, here's foreign policy. We support a system of free cooperation and competition among nation states, working together through trade treaties, defensive alliances, and other common projects that respect the independence of their members. But we oppose transferring the authority of elected governments to transitional or supranational uh, bodies a trend that pretends to high moral legitimacy even as it weakens representative government, sows public alienation and distrust, and strengthens the influence of autocratic regimes. Accordingly, we reject imperialism in its various contemporary forms. We condemn the imperialism of China, Russia, and other authoritarian powers, but not ours. But we also oppose the liberal imperialism of the last generation, which sought to gain power, influence, and wealth by dominating other nations and trying to remake them in its own image. It's like, maybe that's a slight at the United States, but, you know, when all this stuff began, um, about the 1860s in America, the Lincolnian nationalists that I've just talked about, that's when American imperialism really began. And uh, it's continued unabated now for 150 plus years. So rejection of imperialism, then we need to make a statement about American imperialism as well. And this is where the libertarians and the paleocons have always been on, on the right side of this. 
The Straussians know. The neocons know. And I know the Straussians get very upset when you call them neocons. And the neocons don't like us. The neocons, because this would be a statement, ostensibly, that the neocons would not support. But, on the other hand, when you support Lincolnian nationalism, this is what you're going to get. Now, number three. National government. The independent nation states is instituted to establish a more perfect union among the diverse communities, parties, and regions of a given nation to provide for their common defense and justice among them and to secure the general welfare and blessings of liberty for this time and for future generations. The independent nation state is instituted. So the national government is there to protect the separate interests. Hmm. How'd that work out between 1861 and 1865? Worked out really well, didn't it? It's worked out well over the last 150 years. The center, as it's grown stronger, the states have lost all their powers. That, that's great. Now, here's, where the, there's, here's the, the caveat to this. We believe in a strong but limited state subject to constitutional restraints and a division of powers. We recommended a drastic reduction in the scope of the administrative state and the policy-making judiciary that displace legislatures representing the full range of a nation's interests and values. We recommend the Federalist Principle, which prescribes a delegation of power to the respective states or subdivisions of the nation so as to allow greater variation, experimentation, and freedom. But, however, in those states or subdivisions in which law and justice have been manifestly corrupted or in which lawlessness, immorality, and dissolution reign, National government must intervene energetically to restore order. So if you buck the center, then we're going to invade and, make, and kill you. Because dissolution, you can't have that. Lawlessness, what is that? Define that. Define immorality. Maybe a lefty would say that what you're doing uh, is immoral. Maybe that's immoral. Maybe, maybe having a national policy that would, uh, say, allow for drilling of fossil fuels, that's immoral. That's immoral. So then the center has to come in and smash them because they can't do that. They can't say that. So what these national conservatives are doing is actually undermining their entire position because you're going to give the keys to the general government to define what immorality is, to define what lawlessness is, to define what dissolution is, and they're going to smash it. What's different than now? There's nothing different here. You can say, well, we want to rein in that center a little bit. How about a lot? How about leave out that last part, and I would agree with some of this stuff. Right? I mean, there are already checks in the Constitution for this. They're already there. You don't need to make a statement like this. Energetically restore order. I'm going to ensure that the laws that the tariff is collected, Abraham Lincoln, 1861. I'm going to make sure the laws are enforced. Abraham Lincoln, 1861, or Andrew Jackson. Make sure those things are enforced. God and public religion. Number four, no nation can long endure without humility and gratitude before God and fear of his judgment that are found in authentic religious tradition. For millennia, the Bible has been our surest guide, nourishing a fitting orientation toward God, to the political traditions of the nation, to public morals, to the defense of the weak, and to the recognition of things rightly regarded as sacred. The Bible should be read as the first among the sources of a shared Western civilization in schools and universities and as the rightful inheritance of believers and non-believers alike. Where a Christian majority exists, public life should be rooted in Christianity and its moral vision. 
which should be honored by the state and other institutions, both public and private. At the same time, Jews and other religious minorities are to be protected in the observance of their own traditions and the free governance of their communal institutions and in all matters pertaining to the rearing and education of their children. Adult individuals should be protected from religious or ideological coercion in their private lives and in their homes. So, um, you know, having, again, this could be handled all at the state level. You know how? By adhering to the First Amendment the way it was originally interpreted. I mean, it could all be done. This is not something, you know, you know we don't need to have. We don't need to have a, a, um, a national declaration on religion. Which we don't need to have. I'm all for more religion in private and public life. That's great. What the, the problem is, though, again, when you take this from the center, and you can you can have all the different caveats. Well, we need to make sure that religious liberty... You know what? That sounds a lot like the First Amendment. Because if the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights were interpreted the way they were supposed to be interpreted, we wouldn't have this issue at all. It's the You can say it's the... The distortion of the 14th Amendment, which we get to number five, and let's talk about that. Number five, the rule of law. We believe in the rule of law. By this, we mean that citizens and foreigners alike, and both the government and the people, must accept and abide by the laws of the nation. In America, this means accepting and living in accordance with the Constitution of 1787, the amendments to it, duly enacted statutory law, and the great common law inheritance. Now, let me stop there. The common law inheritance undermines the entire first part of that statement. Because the common law inheritance is the case law, which is the unwritten constitution that goes side by side with the written constitution that undermines the written constitution. You have to be very careful when you start talking about the common law. That's the British unwritten model. We don't we have a written constitution. If it's not there, you can't do it. But see, the common law creates this unwritten model that the left uses to their advantage all the time. And the nationalists can also use to their advantage, by the way, too. But this is the issue. All agree that the repair and improvement of national legal traditions and institutions is at times necessary. But necessary change must take place through the law. Well, um, yeah. Uh, so if you want to change something, you got to amend the Constitution, not through the common law. And statutory law? I mean, again, so the left passes a whole bunch of nonsense, and it becomes statutory law. It's just stupid. This is how we preserve our national traditions and our nation itself. Rioting, looting, and other unacceptable public disorders should be swiftly put to an end. You know who could do a good job at that? The states. If the states were not tied down by common law, statutory law, and distortion of the interpretation of these amendments to the Constitution. Hey, I'm just saying, right? So you want the, you want the nation, you're going to you take your medicine, which is that. Number six, free enterprise. We believe that an economy based on private property and free enterprise is best suited to promoting the prosperity of the nation in accords with traditions of individual liberty that are central to the Anglo-American political tradition. We reject the socialist principle which suppose, supposes that the economic activity of the nation can be conducted in accordance with a rational plan dictated by the state. But the free market cannot be absolute. Economic policy must serve the general welfare of the nation. Today, globalized markets allow hostile foreign powers to despoil America and other countries of their manufacturing capacity, weakening them economically and dividing them internally. 
At the same time, transnational corporations showing little loyalty to any nation damage public life by censoring political speech, flooding the country with dangerous and addictive substances and pornography, and promoting obsessive, destructive personal habits. A prudent national economic policy should promote free enterprise, but it must also mitigate threats to the national interest, aggressively pursue economic independence from hostile powers, nurture industries crucial for national defense, and restore and upgrade manufacturing capabilities crucial or critical to, to the public welfare. Crony capitalism, the selective promotion of corporate profit-making by organs of state power, should be energetically exposed and opposed. Again, I've got no problem with this, but show me, show me in the Constitution where it gives the central authority the power to do any of these things they're saying they need to do. You know who can do this? The states. The states could do this all day long. But it's been blocked by nationalists. So who is really the problem? The nationalists. It's been blocked by distorted interpretations from the common law from Supreme Court justices. The states could do this stuff all day. Again, go back to Calhoun. I'm a conservative because I'm a states' rights man. <laughs> it's very simple. It's very simple. You don't have to have all this. Just say, you know, I'm a conservative because I'm a states' rights man. I believe in that. And everything else would work itself out. You may not live in a conservative state. So you might have to say in your... This would be great. I'll say this. This statement of principles would be great at the state level, not at the center. I, I agree with all this stuff. At the state level. States can be courting manufacturing. States can be trying to bring these things back. We know that... See, we need to have a central authority. This is where Calhoun's concurrent majority would come into play. That's so limited, it couldn't block the states doing these things. That's the issue. And then you can't have a national government. Public research at a time when China is rapidly overtaking America and the Western nations in fields cr crucial for security and defense, a Cold War-type program modeled on DARPA, the Moonshot, and SDI is needed to focus large-scale public resources on scientific and technological research with military applications. This sounds a lot like John Quincy Adams. On restoring and upgrading national manufacturing capacity and on education in the physical sciences and engineering. It also sounds a lot like Alexander Hamilton and Henry Clay. Right? I mean, this, this is what you're, you're looking at here. This is the, this is the uh, push from the, from the burrs under real American government in the 19th century to get these kind of things. And this is Cold War type stuff, right? When we had a national government. On the other hand, we recognize that most universities are at this point partisan and globalist in orientation and vehemently opposed to nationalist and conservative ideas. So they're not really opposed to nationalist ideas. What they're opposed to is conservative nationalist ideas. They love the nation. They love to have their ideas imposed on everybody in America, just not uh, if they're conservative. Such institutions do not deserve taxpayer support unless they rededicate themselves to the national interest. Education policy should serve manifest national needs. Well, what are those? I mean, they could say they do. They could say that everything they do is serving a national need. A national need of... Social justice, that's a national need because racism is a mental disorder and needs to be eradicated. I mean, this is what they could say. So we need to focus our national energies. Biden is a nationalist. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a nationalist. They're all nationalists. They just have a left-wing vision of what American nationalism is. So you know how you strike all that out? Get rid of nationalism, including all this garbage. You can do this at the state level including saying there has to be a central nation-state America. That's the core of it. I'm not saying that what they're, I said I would agree with all of this stuff, uh, 
if it's at the state level. If we had 50 Ron DeSantis's, this would be great. You could say, do this in Florida. Do this in Texas. Do this in Alabama. Do this in North Dakota. Do this in Montana. Do it there. What Elon Musk has shown, that you don't need a center to do space exploration. The stuff that his, his company is doing when it comes to landing rockets on their own is so much better than anything NASA ever did. So why not use private? I mean, pay these people lots of money to do this stuff, and you know what? You're going to get good stuff. Family and children, number eight, we believe the traditional family is a source of society's virtues and deserves greater support from public policy. The traditional family, built around a lifelong bond between a man and a woman and a lifelong bond between parents and children, is the foundation of all other achievements of our civilization. Disintegration of the family, including a marked decline in marriage and childbirth, gravely threatens the well-being and sustainability of democratic nations. Among the causes are an unrestrained individualism that regards children as a burden, while encouraging ever more radical forms of sexual license and experimentation as an alternative to the responsibilities of family and con uh, congregational life. Economic and cultural conditions that foster stable family and congregational life and child raising are priorities of the highest order. I agree 100%. Again, I agree with so much of this at the state level. Because if you start saying that the center has to do these things, you give the keys to the other side too. And so this is where they get, well, we have to win elections. We have to win all these elections. We have to do this. We have to win elections. Okay, how's that working out for us? Particularly when the elections are some, I mean, if you say that there's any, if you disagree with, uh, you know, the fact that these elections are legitimate at any time, I mean, we know that there's some questions about that. And the left knows that power has had in elections too. Well, then where could you do these things? Well, you could do them at the state level. You could do them at the local level. That would be amazing, right? Immigration. Immigration has made immense contributions to the strength and prosperity of Western nations. But today's penchant for uncontrolled and unassimilated immigration has become a source of weakness and instability, not strength and dy uh, a dynamism, threatening inter uh, internal dissension and ultimately dissolution of the political community. We note that Western nations have benefited from both liberal and restrictive immigration policies at various times. We call for much more restrictive policies until these countries summon the wit to establish more balanced, productive, and assimilationist policies. Restrictive policies may sometimes include a moratorium on immigration. So, kind of playing a the, straddling the fence here. We know that immigration has done good things and has done bad things. So we, we don't want immigration right now until we can figure out how to make these people assimilate. And... When you look at, say, this period of time that these people really like in America, it was it came about because immigration was so low during the 1920s and 30s, and there was a general assimilist policy with World War II. I mean, that was the only time in American history when you really saw people interested in assimilation in any way was then. And this is what they're calling for, essentially. And so, again, immigration could be controlled by the states. Again, I agree with this. I agree with so much of this except for the general premise of nationalism is the key to solving these problems. It is the enemy of solving these problems because you can't always guarantee you control the center. But you can guarantee because of we see it over and over again. Even if you could stop immigration into states, right? If Georgia could still be Georgia instead of having so many people move into it from other places. Same thing with Florida, whatever. If those states could just be those states, you could have real, I mean, 
policies that reflect the political community. And finally, race. We believe that all men are created in the image of God and that public policy should reflect that fact. No person's worth of loyalties can be judged by the shape of his features, the color of his skin, or the results of a lab test. The history of racialist ideology and oppression and its ongoing consequences require us to emphasize this truth. We condemn the use of state and private institutions to discriminate and divide us against one another on the basis of race. The cultural sympathies encouraged by decent nationalism offer a sound basis for conciliation and unity among diverse communities. But no, they won't. I mean, this is the thing. Groups are going to look at this and say, you're, you're, you're actually working against us here. You're working against us. You're, you're, you're denying us our cultural independence and our cultural respect for our culture, et cetera, et cetera. Because we know that's exactly what happens when you start creating nationalism. There has to be a, a, there has to be a national culture that's going to be imposed at the expense of the local. It's going to happen every single time. And when you talk about globalism, it has to be a globalist culture, right? So they're, they're rejecting globalism because it does this. Now, when they come down to the United States, though, it's going to push on the diversity of those states. They're, they're going to say it doesn't, but it will. Ultimately, it will. Experience has shown this. This is all ideology, and it sounds great in theory, but in practice, nationalism produces a host of blunders that they're trying to avoid. The nationalism we espouse respects and indeed combines the unique needs of particular minority communities and the common good of the nation as a whole. Well, um, but that's what you say you espouse. But um, how is this going to work for people that don't espouse that? Again, who gets to decide these things? This is the real question when you start talking about nationalism. Who gets to decide? All right. So somebody asked me what my thought on this was. And of course, this is, the, this is building off of things that these national conservatives have been trying to do. And again, I like Dan McCarthy. Uh, when you look at the list, I mean, like I said, it's Michael Anton, Larry Arn. Um, I mean, it's people like that. Um, uh, Ken Cuccinelli, Victor Davis Hanson. Uh, you look at the list um, of people that are on here, these Straussians. Uh, Josh Hammer, um, Yoram Hazoni, who I talked about already. I mean, you go down the list and who these people are, it's... Uh, you know, Michael Knowles, who's been on a panel before, Dan McCarthy, who I like. I mean, sometimes these people say things that are that are decent, right? And, and I, again, I agree with the, the substance of this. Uh, you know, Dave, uh, Dave Riaboy um, has, uh, has talked about secession, which is kind of interesting. Tom Spence, who is uh, uh, at Regnery Publishing. Um, but, you know, yeah, Claire Monter is on here. Uh, so... Again, I find it funny that some of the people, the, the paleocons, are absent from this list. Even Pat Buchanan, who founded the American Conservative. Now, this is the Edmund Burke Foundation, but that founded the American Conservative is not on this list. Why? Because it is a different kind of thing. All right. I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. <laughs>